From Refinery29, this is Strong Opinions Loosely Held. I'm Elisa Kreisinger, and on today's show, are faith and feminism mutually exclusive? Not for Linda Sarsour. She's a Muslim community organizer from Brooklyn, and she's tired of the stereotype of the oppressed Muslim woman. Muslim women have to share their own stories. We don't need Muslim men in the community to uh, defend Islam when it comes to women's empowerment. And that is why we continue to perpetuate the stereotypes that women are oppressed or women are in the back or, you know, backstage in the Muslim community. The stereotype definitely didn't start with Disney movies, but let's just say they didn't exactly help either. Here's how Princess Jasmine's character is established in an early scene. Dearest, you've got to stop rejecting every suitor who comes to call. The law says you must must be married married to a prince prince. by your next birthday. The law is wrong. You've only got three more days. Father, I hate being forced into this. If I do marry, I want it to be for love. Jasmine, it's not only this law... I'm not going to be around forever, and, well, I I just want to make sure you're taken care of, provided for. Please try to understand. I've never done a thing on my own. I've never had any real friends. Except you, Raja. I've never even been outside the palace walls. But, Jasmine, you're a princess. Then maybe I don't want to be a princess anymore. Oh, I, I, I forbid you should have any daughters. And here's how the fictional town of Agrabah is described. Oh, I come from a land, from a faraway place, where the caravan camels roam. Where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. Now, just for a comparison, here's how France is depicted in Beauty and the Beast. They can sing, they can dance, but to all miss, this is France. And a dinner here is never second best. So this idea that Muslim women are victims of a barbaric culture is a long-established media trope. But Linda is fighting back. So that's a challenge that we have as Muslim women to be given platforms to to show our leadership and to talk about things that are important to us. Judge me by my character, by my skills, by my, you know, contributions and not by the way that I look. When people see me, they think that I'm an anomaly, that there's only one or two or three of me, when in fact there are millions of Muslim women across the world, and particularly here in the United States, who are strong, who are confident, who are educated, and who are making a difference in our society. The women are out there. They are, again, scholars of our community. They are heading some of the most important nonprofit organizations, civil rights organizations, direct service organizations, domestic violence intervention and prevention organizations. But unfortunately, the media is not giving them platform. Um, And we're only given platform when we're when we're reacting to something that's happening or a current event that's happening. But really, we're not given the opportunity to tell our stories and the work that we're doing. Most often, that's outside of the Muslim community. Linda also isn't your typical activist. Cosmo asked for her opinion on Dolce & Gabbana's new collection, and Rachel Maddow asked her how to solve ISIS and Islamophobia. 
Here's what she said. I mean, if we want to uphold our values and we want to show the rest of the world how wonderful we are, well, we need to start here at home. Um, while we're talking about partnering with Muslim communities and you are a partner, you are part of the fabric of our society, our government operates massive surveillance program, unwarranted surveillance in Muslim communities, chilling free speech, making people feel afraid. I mean, a lot of Muslims have come to the United States to get away from regimes where they feel like their freedom of speech is infringed on, where they some people don't have freedom of religion. And her social media profiles read like a call to an intersectional revolution. She was on the campaign trail with Bernie Sanders. Before that, she helped curb the NYPD spying on local Muslim communities in New York. She pushed the city to observe two Islamic holidays, making them public school holidays. She's an avid supporter of Black Lives Matter. Obama named her champion of change. And if all of this surprises you, Linda says that it shouldn't. I want to be embraced um, by the larger feminist movement when I say that I am Muslim and I am a feminist because I am Muslim. And I think oftentimes there's a discussion that's to the contrary in the feminist movement that feminism and Islam can't coincide and, and, and coexist. And I think we, we, including myself, there is many examples of where Islam and feminism, hijab, working in a conservative community actually do coincide. So I want to be able to say I'm a Muslim, I'm a feminist, and it's because of Islam that I am a feminist. I think we as Muslim women and, and many other women, minority women, have to take back the meaning of feminism. I think feminism has been branded as like, you know, angry, white women, bra burning, man hating. And that's not really what feminism is for me ever. And it's never been that. And if you believe in equal rights for all, if you be, believe in the empowerment and leadership of women, then you are a feminist, whether you like it or not. I'm very proud to wear a hijab. I don't think that wearing my hijab takes away from anything um, that I can do or be. Oftentimes I've even heard Muslim women um, or more what, Muslim radical feminists who will say that hijab is actually the opposite of feminism. If feminism is about making all choices and having no limitations to who I am, if I choose to wear hijab, I should be respected in all that I bring to the, to the table. And when I walk down the street, people know that I'm Muslim by my hijab. And that's an important declaration that I have made um, in a place like New York City. And it's very important to me. And I don't think it takes away from my political views or my role or my gender role. After 9-11, discrimination against Muslims in New York City increased dramatically. A spike in violence and discrimination against Muslims and Arabs. And she said... We are unauthorized to give people open beverage cans because they can use it as a weapon. Huh. And so I said, well, it's clear that you're discriminating against me because you gave him an open, you know, an un unopened beverage yeah. can. And so she grabbed it immediately, opened it for him. And as she was putting it back, she said, well, it's because you would use it as a weapon. I think Islam hates us. And we have to be very vigilant. We have to be very careful. Is there a Muslim problem? And I said, absolutely yes. In fact, I went a step further. I said, I didn't see Swedish people knocking down the World Trade Center. Presidential candidate Ted Cruz told ABC News today that he is pushing legislation to ban any Syrian refugees who are Muslim from coming into the United States. I would bomb the shit out of them. No one felt this more than Muslim women. The ACLU found that Muslim women who wore headscarves were more than twice as likely to report at least one incident of discrimination. 
hijab represents a, diff- a few different experiences for me as I walk down the street or are engaging and interacting, um, even in New York City or anywhere else. One, one part is people assume that I don't speak English and that I'm not an American just because I'm wearing hijab or sexual harassment, right? Or street harassment, as people call it these days. Or, um, the fact that I'm covered from head to toe does not mean that I'm, that we are not, um, impacted by street harassment. I've had people, men say things like, Oh, I want to get under that. But I also have had great interactions where I, people ask me questions because I'm wearing hijab. I'm able to start a conversation with people who might have misconceptions about women in hijab and who we are and why do we wear this. So there's a, there's like a variety of experiences uh, that you have wearing hijab. My dad um, and mom had five daughters back to back. So at, at, for my father, it was it was very important for him um, and that to, to when my brothers were born to show us that we were all going to be treated equally. I have the most amazing father who was Muslim and Arab and he literally uh, contradicted every stereotype you have of Arab fathers. And like he never made us feel like there was anything we couldn't do because we were um, girls. But I also understood that when I was confident, I got a lot more respect. When I was confident, I was able to tell my story, um, my own story, and not have others tell my story for me. My dream was to be a high school English teacher. Um, I dreamed that I was going to go into, you know, an underprivileged community and I was going to work with these young people and inspire them to express themselves through writing. And that was kind of my big dream. And then 9-11 happened. I was a college student. And uh, I was called in to volunteer at this organization, the Arab American Association of New York, which was located in a community heavily targeted by law enforcement after 9-11. So there were men being picked up in our community. Women didn't know where their husbands went for days, their brothers, you know, their sons. And um, when I came to volunteer, like I was shocked. I mean, I grew up again, lower middle class had a loving family. I knew there was injustice in the world, but I never really touched it and never impacted me directly. And um, when I first volunteered, the first client that I had was a woman from Morocco and her four-year-old son. And she literally came and said, these men picked up my husband. I haven't seen him in four days. And I just thought to myself, what do you mean your husband got picked up and you didn't? And, I, and that was my first hit of what 9-11 meant to uh, the Muslim community, to the Arab community. And ever since that first client I had, I've been with the Arab American Association for 15 years. I've been doing advocacy um, and direct service to Arab Americans and Muslim Americans in New York City. And I felt like I found my place. I was I'm bilingual. I was born and raised in that community. Um, I felt like I could navigate. I had my feet in two worlds. So I was an American born and raised in Brooklyn, but I was also Palestinian. I was also Muslim. Um, so I felt like I had such a great impact on um, in the work that I was doing. And then I found my voice um, all these years of being, you know, lead, lead in the play, being, you know, high achiever academically. And my parents always thought I was going to be a lawyer. They didn't really want me to be a teacher, but they wanted me to be a lawyer. And then I was like, wait a minute, here's my voice. Here's my platform. Here's time to change the story and here's the time to defend really my community like those are the people I grew up with that I was defending at that moment so I'm still here and um, I'm probably going to be here for quite a long time Linda had strong opinions about faith and feminism and now I want to hear yours tweet me at pop cult pirate with your opinions and make sure to use the hashtag S-O-L-H that stands for strong opinions loosely held Please subscribe to us on iTunes and please also rate us while you're there. You can find an interview with me about this episode, along with other episodes and stuff that was left on the cutting room floor at refinery29.com. 
Our show today was produced by me, Elisa Kreisinger, for Refinery29. It was edited by Caitlin Pierce, and we recorded with Paul Ruest. The original interview for this episode was recorded for a video series called Get Real by one of our producers, Jackie Huntington. You can watch it at youtube.com slash refinery29, and we'll see you back here next week.